0: The Buddha gave a very helpful, brief teaching about this particular principle. It's called the arrow, the Sala Sutta. Sala is the Pali word, the scriptural word for an arrow. And it's an image that comes from the realm of military life. The Buddha was a soldier before he was a monk, so he often uses military imagery in his teachings. So this is an image of a soldier being shot on the battlefield by an arrow. The Buddha said, if you imagine a soldier being hit by an arrow, shot by an arrow on the battlefield, no one can avoid that first arrow. This is representing physical pain. If you have a body and a mind, necessarily, we will experience physical pain. That's how it is for all of us, necessarily, unavoidably. Whether you're an ignorant person, whether you're a young child, an old person, whether you're a fully enlightened arahant, an enlightened being like the Buddha, or an unenlightened being, regardless, physical pain will arise. It's always going to be physical pain. So he said that first arrow can't be avoided. That's part of living. If we have a body and a mind, then there's going to be physical pain. So nobody can dodge that first arrow the second arrow he said this is the worrying the resenting fearing negotiating stressing around that painful feeling that, that agitation and say confusion and tensing distress that gathers around that painful feeling he said that second arrow that can be avoided that is completely optional, that can be avoided based on our spiritual skill and attitude. Yesterday I was talking about the Four Noble Truths and how the Third Noble Truth is about the ending of dukkha, that the result of the mind, seeing the mind, is the the ending of that dissatisfaction, that discontent, that distress, ending of dukkha. That's all about the second arrow. So, if you've joined this retreat hoping to never experience physical pain ever again, never to have anything uncomfortable happen to you, then you joined the wrong program. <laughs> not to be too off putting. But the ending of dukkha, the ending of suffering, as we talk about it in our sort of Buddhist languaging of things, isn't about never experiencing physical pain or never having difficult situations in our lives. That's not the case. The ending of Dukkha, the ending of suffering, say that freeing the heart from dis-ease, that's all about avoiding the second arrow, so that even if we have physical pain, and probably some people gathered on this retreat have got uh, chronic pain and or physical issues that mean that there's a lot of physical pain in your lives, that can be present, but the mind can be totally at peace with it. The feeling is still there, but the mind is not creating a problem about it. It's not resenting it or begrudging it or blaming, getting lost in blame for the doctor or the government or even ourselves. You know, if only I hadn't given myself that stupid injury, if only I hadn't hurt myself in that way, then I wouldn't have this problem. Rather, there's the simplicity, the clarity of the mind that recognizes, here it is. It's like this. This is the way it is. Doesn't mean that we're totally passive. It doesn't mean to say that if you've got chronic pain, you don't go to the chiropractor or you don't get a massage or you don't do exercises to help relieve that. Or if it's something that requires medication, it doesn't mean that you refuse the medication to work with it. No, we can take appropriate steps to work with the situation and to alleviate the discomfort as much as possible. But the fact is that moment by moment, it's up to this mind, this heart, this citta, whether it's turned into a problem or something that shouldn't be or something that's unfair, that entirely hinges upon the attitude that is generated moment by moment by our hearts and minds. So I feel it's an example I often give is that the Buddha himself referred to the fact that he had chronic back pain at the beginning of the discourse that describes the Buddha's. Last days, the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. It starts off by him saying, I'm 80 years old now. My body is like an old cart, like a, an old wagon held together with strings and straps and kind of makeshift props to hold things together. The only way I can experience comfort is to absorb my mind into emptiness, into the sunyata vihara. So basically, saying, if he was paying attention to the sensory world, He was in pain, (laughs) but he was an Arahant. He was totally enlightened, so that the pain might have been there, but he knew how not to make a problem about it. And so sometimes when we speak about the Buddha or we talk about his teachings, we can forget this very human side of it that the Buddha had, there was a human body that had its impact, and that when he was old in his 80s, then it was painful. And so the pain was present, and he had to work with it again. Just because the pain is there doesn't mean to say that we switch off or don't do anything about it. There's times when he says he's giving a dhamma talk and he'll turn to Venerable Sariputra and say, Sariputra, my back is paining me. The assembly is still wide awake. So I've been giving this dhamma talk, but my back is getting painful. So I'm going to go and lie down and stretch my back to ease the painful feelings. The assembly is still wide awake, so you carry on giving them a Dhamma talk. So these kind of incidents are there in the scriptures. that describes the Buddha leaning against a pillar in the middle of the Dhamma hall while he's giving a talk because his back is in pain. So I feel these are very good living examples. Yes, there can be painful feeling, but it doesn't have to be a problem. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything about it. Like I was saying with respect to the meditation, we don't have to just uh, sit there going, it's just pain. it's just pain. it's just praying, praying, praying. Ah! <laughs> till we can't move or our partner has to come in and wheel us out of the living room because we've been overzealous. No, part of mindfulness and wisdom is getting to know our limitations. And as I was describing in that meditation, when there is an intuitive sense that, okay, yeah, there's enough stress has been placed on that joint, it really feels like it's reached its limit of what's doable, okay. Now's the time to change the posture. So sometimes when we talk about non-attachment or just being aware or adopting an attitude of non-grasping, that can be misinterpreted or misunderstood as a passivity. I'm just watching this painful feeling. I'm just watching the the, the smoke coming off the food I have put on the cooker earlier on. I'll just observe the fire catching the curtains. But no, get up and put the fire out. It's like there's smoke filling the room. It's just watching. We can just watch ourselves responding mindfully to something that needs to be done. So when we talk about non-attachment and non-grasping, it doesn't mean passivity, but rather it means an attitude of clarity and attunement to the time, the place, the situation. It's a responsivity rather than a reactivity. So, And that's a point I, I like to make in terms of applying skillful effort, right effort, working with our minds, our bodies in a way that is helpful and wholesome and liberating. When we talk about non-attachment, it's not a kind of foolish dissociation or sort of disconnecting from our bodies, our minds, and the living system that we're a part of. Uh, not at all. It's Rather, it's learning how to come from a place of attunement and responsivity. Rather than just reacting in, in a habitual way to like and dislike and habit, maybe the last thing to share with you I talked a little bit about dependent origination a few times. I'm not sure if you can see this clock I'm holding up, which is a clock conveniently divided into 12 sections, as clocks usually are of this kind, not a digital clock, but a circular clock. So you can think of this as representing the 12 links of dependent origination. I don't know if you can see this clearly enough, but anyway. So from 12 to 4, think of that as representing the first 4 of the 12 links of that chain. So it starts off at ignorance, not seeing things clearly, the mind being less than fully awake and aware. So when the mind drifts from being perfectly awake and aware, then... Those first four sections, which are technically named as ignorance, then conditioning formations, formations condition consciousness or discriminative consciousness, consciousness conditions materiality and mentality, Nama Rupa. So, those first four, from 12 to 4, that sets up the subject object division me here, the world there, or me here watching my mind internally, or me looking at the world around me. So that's the first floor, setting up the subject-object division. Then the next three, as the mind then, with me here, the world there, then the mind latches on to a particular perception like that, the shape of the screen or the pictures of all of you on the screen. That So it latches on to a particular sense perception. So that's the six senses, sense contact and feeling, salayatana, pasa and vedana. So then that sets up the Impact of a particular sensory experience. We're now at seven on the clock. <laughs> that uh, represents the vedana or feeling. So then, between seven and eight, that's the what I've been talking about as the weakest link. So when mindfulness is weak and ignorance is strong, then if there's something that's pleasant, the mind chases after it, and liking turns into wanting. We hop easily from seven to eight, and then. The next three, seven, eight, nine, are craving and grasping and becoming, tanha, upadana, bhava in Pali language. That wanting turns into chasing after, grasping, and then becoming, being committed to a particular thing that we see or hear. Then the last two, from 10 to 11 and 11 to 12 on the clock, Is represents birth. So after becoming is birth, so that you're committed to getting that object, you've made the purchase, you've reacted to that painful feeling. There's a commitment has happened in relationship to that thought, that sight, that sound, that smell, that taste, that physical sensation. And then so that's jati or birth is a 10. And then 11 to 12 is then aging and death, Jara marana, soka parideva, duka supayasa, to give it the full Pali, so glorious <laughs> naming. So sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. So the clock with 12 digits on it is an easy way, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> of representing that process of dependent origination. And then if we are wise, if we are able to say, appreciate the dukkha of having grasped the feeling of that arrow that recognizes, oh, my mind is getting lost in this painful feeling, this is just a painful feeling, then that can be an exit point, recognizing that the mind is caught up in suffering. I'll talk about this more in due course, but I feel that's a handy-dandy way of getting a picture of how dependent origination works is just thinking of it as a clock. And if we're wise, then we can leave the circuit either before feeling turns into craving, or even when there is already ripened in dukkha, that can be another exit point. But if we are not wise, and not aware, not awake, then we get resentful of the suffering, we grasp that second arrow, we get hit by that, and then around and around and around we go, like a clock keeps going around and around, as long as the battery lasts. So I hope that's clarifying rather than confusing in any way.